What a wonderful time of worship we have had. May we continue to rejoice in the Lord together. I invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of First John. We're continuing our study in the book of First John and talking about knowing Jesus. And what an exciting way of continuing on in the study and celebrating baptism. And, uh, man, we've had church already today, haven't we? I know that's what, what you all were thinking. And... Uh, That's a good thing. I'm glad you're thinking it, because I was thinking the same thing. And so we are excited of how God is at work and certainly looking forward to what He's going to continue to do as we continue to walk with Him. And one of the wonderful things that God does for us as we think of the wonder of knowing Jesus, even as we've just seen it within our study in the book of 1 John, and we've seen the wonder of who He is and how He's at work and uh, in the beginning and all the ways in which He has made Himself manifest as the Word of life. We've talked about Jesus being, you know, the one who is our Savior and He's our advocate before the Father. He is our propitiation and how He works in our hearts and lives and the wonderful comforting reality of His finished work and His ongoing work for us. We even saw last week in the family reminders that he's given us and embedded in the text for us of knowing him and all the wonder of, of walking in that. But for all of us here today, we have found ourselves in moments, maybe this past week, somewhere along in your life, maybe even this very moment right now, where you need a moment of absolute clarity where you need the light of the truth of Christ to pierce the darkness and open your eyes to see the glory of who He is. Maybe you've been praying that for somebody else that you know in your life, and you need to see some clear lines of distinction, and you need to be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false. God provides such discernment. God has given us that. And if you would, turn with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start by reading uh, verses 18 through 21. And as we read that, we're going to see just the wonder of what it means to live as discerning disciples of Jesus Christ. So grab your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And this is what we read. He says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us reason for rejoicing over and over again here today. Father, you've given us the context for joy in singing your praises and rejoicing in the wonder of what it means to sing to you. Father, you have given us the the joyful reminder of your life-giving power in Ponam's baptism. And Lord, we are overwhelming, overwhelmed with joy right now and just overflowing with gratitude for how you are at work. Father, as we have laid concerns before you in prayer, as we have celebrated the offering, as we are now walking into your word, Father, give us even greater reason now to rejoice in you as we see just how rich your clarity is for us. And may we walk in it, enjoy it, and delight in you 
together. Lead us on in a way that brings you glory and honor. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. So in verse 18, we pick up with a word that was really used in the family reminders that we looked at last week, where he just says, children. And it is, in fact, the same word that's used there in in verse 14. And as we think about what that was, and we thought about, you know, sort of grading out the notions of maturity within the family of faith, and we talked about that, and this is a reference to someone who's very young in the faith, although as he's writing it here, it would be applied to the entirety of the whole church. But particularly for those who are young in the faith, there are a lot of dangers that are out there. There's a lot of need for clarity in walking with Jesus. And the fact is, if you have been walking as a disciple of Jesus, it has not taken you very long to figure out that following Jesus is not easy. There are a lot of twists and turns in that road, that the really reality of our hope is the fact that He's with us, and He's teaching us, and He's guiding us, and He's leading us, and He's holding us in His hand. But see, as we look around, we also admit the reality that things are not always what they are appear. And so we need discernment. We find ourselves honestly like children who are constantly looking at their parents and asking that same question over and over again, but why? And you answer one and you make it a couple of steps along the way, but why? And you may answer another one and you make it a few more steps, but why? And it's like with fatherly kindness and with tender care, he's looking at the body of Christ, he's looking at the church, and he's saying, children, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen. He says, it is the last hour. And we read this and we think, wait, last hour? Last days? And so oftentimes in our own modern society and the ways in which we think about the last days are oftentimes not helpful because you talk about the end of all things and you can think of all the news reports and all the things that you've seen along the way and what happens a lot of time is this wild-eyed fearfulness of the reality of the situation and that is not what he's doing here. He's saying it is the last hour though. Think of the last hour as the Apostle John would have thought about it in terms of when he was listening to Jesus speak and teach about last things. And he would have remembered Jesus saying in Luke chapter 21 verse 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's not saying these things because it's hopeless. He's saying these things because in Christ there's hope. Children, it is the last hour. For those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God so that no one may boast. And he who saves you is he who sustains you. But it is the last hour. And you may be reading this and you're thinking, wait, this was written in the first century. It's 2023. How can both of those things possibly be true? But as you think about the way in which the words are even being used within the text, the hour is not making reference to 60 minutes of time, but a fixed period of time known to God and unknown to us. And then as you think of last things, the only thing that's left to happen is the advance of the kingdom of Christ and the victorious return of the Lord Jesus. 
Everything else has been accomplished. Everything else has been finished. Time is short. But in saying this, he says, children, calm down. Draw near and listen. He says, as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. He said, as you've heard these things, that Antichrist is coming. A certain figure, a certain someone who is coming to global prominence in the last days, who sets himself up against Christ and against Christ's kingdom. He's discussed in a a variety of different places biblically, and yet here making clear reference to this individual. But see, the danger for us as we think of discernment and as we think of walking in Christ is there's great danger in getting caught looking ahead and missing the moment right now. Because even in using this word here when we say antichrist, I guarantee you for almost everybody in here or if you've been in the sort of world of Christianity for very long, you have heard people guess about this before. And the guesses are wildly various. They're all over the map. Various guesses, everything tracing along from various popes to obscure politicians. It's as though when we read this word, some people are expecting a fog machine to start blowing and somebody who looks like Darth Vader to come walking out. In looking at this and researching for this message this morning, I even came across one of the most obscure thoughts about the Antichrist. Well, someone tried to unpack the fact that they thought Barney the Purple Dinosaur was the Antichrist. Now, some of you all may have thought that already. But the way that they tried to prove that was they said, if you took the, the phrase cute purple dinosaur and you turn those into Latin numericals, so like the U would be turned into a V and it would be five, and you added all of that together, you know what the number comes to? 666. Now, Barney's not my best friend. But dare I say, he's not the Antichrist either. And see, what happens when we go down this road of just guessing and looking out and trying to sort all this out in what God has clearly left as it is for us to trust in Him, we find ourselves guessing about the future and missing the moment right now. There's great danger in that. He says, just as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. He describes them specifically, and later on in verse 22 of the same chapter, he speaks of, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, who opposed Jesus and the reality of who he is and what he's done. Which is a reminder for us that in exercise of any discernment, that we discern all things with doctrinal clarity. Jesus, who is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He is the Anointed One. He is the one who fulfills the three anointed offices of the Old Testament. He is the full and final revelation of the truth in being the prophet. 
He is our one mediator as our great high priest. And he is our only ruler and king. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. Doctrinal clarity matters. Being clear about first things matter. He even gets into this later on in 1 John chapter 4 where he says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. That if you want to have any hope of discerning later, you've got to be able to discern right now. And the way in which you discern right now is with doctrinal clarity. Who is Jesus and what has he done for us? And see, opposition to him and the sense of being against him or anti him comes in various forms. There are many people who oppose him by just saying, well, he's a good teacher. He said lots of nice things. And what that is effectively doing is saying, I know better than him about how he revealed himself. He did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Among all of his great teachings, he did also say that, didn't he? See, some people are against him in outright hating him. Some people are against him in just contorting his words. He says, look, children, brothers and sisters in Christ, many antichrists have come. You can look at heresies and doctrinal errors over the course of history, and what you really find are the same things just being repackaged and rebranded over and over and over and over and over again. You can talk about Arianism and denying the divinity of Jesus, and you can look into cults right now, and you can see the very same thing at work. You can talk about Pelagianism and you can talk about denying the fact that we would need Christ or that you know, we have some sense of just overwhelming goodness in ourselves. And then you look around and you say, oh, I hear all these clamoring voices saying, oh, you're just a good person. You don't really need forgiveness of sin. It's the same old lies. We need the same old truth to discern the same old errors. Know Jesus right now. Trust in him right now. Look to him. Don't say, I'm going to figure it out when we get there. Don't procrastinate. He says, therefore, we know it is the last hour. Time is short. And when time is short, what do you do? Well, for some of us, when time is short, we just completely freak out, right? The last 15 minutes before you leave your house to come to church are probably not your favorite 15 minutes of the week. And I'm with you on that. (laughs) It's hard. You get flustered and all out of sorts and you can't figure out which way is up and what you're going to do and how to do it. And then it's like you just got so many things. And what inevitably happens in the moment, once you come down off of your moment of panic, you just start to prioritize things. You start to prioritize what is most important. What do we have to do right now? You can leave the bed as it is. We got to get in the car and we got to go. You can't do everything, but you can't do nothing either. This is where we are being drawn as a church. This is where He's leading us. Make the most of the time that you have. Live as a discerning disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Trust him. Know him. Trust in the clear declaration of who he is because it's urgent to know him. And it's urgent to be able to discern and see between what is true and what is false. So that not only can we see it for our own lives, in our own families, we can see it for our friends as well. He says, we know it's the last hour. Verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, when he says they, those whom he's referring to are those who have embraced these sort of antichrist tendencies and these antichrist doctrinal realities. These are people who are unbelievers, who deny that Jesus is the Christ, who would deny that Jesus is the Son of God, who would deny that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, who would deny that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't believe him, they don't know him, they don't trust him, but he says they went out from us. And we read this and we think, that's a sad warning, isn't it? We've seen this before. And it's not as though the Apostle John would be unaware of it either. You remember he walked with the twelve as well. And one was a traitor. And even when Jesus pointed it out, nobody knew who in the room Jesus was talking about. That's the reality. There will be many who will be around for a time who will deny the faith. Needing, and so we need to discern what are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to operate with clarity? And not just look around and treat one another with just an overwhelming abundance of suspicion. Well, as one commentator put it, he said it this way, many profess a faith they do not possess. That is still true. Are you alive in Christ? Do you see the fruit of His his life at work in you? Or are you just around the things of God? Because they went out because they were not ultimately born again. They didn't have a life of repentance and faith. And there was no fruit and there was no love. Now be careful here because what he's describing is not someone or some, a group of people losing their salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. What God gives, he sustains. He who saves us holds us. He never loses one of his children and dare we ever accuse him of doing so. This is not a description of someone losing their salvation. This is a description of exposing what is false. This is why doctrinal clarity matters. Being clear on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us in our unity in him. And then ultimately, if you want to spot a fake, you don't do it by trying to learn everything that's false. You do so by learning the truth. In knowing the truth and in walking in the truth and in feasting upon the truth, you're able to see between what is true and what is false. The reason somebody can tell when a counterfeit bill is passed through is because they know what a real one feels like, looks like, and should show. 
When you go to a jeweler and you say, can you inspect this for me? And they look at it. The reason they can inspect it is because they know what it should look like. John describes it here. If if they had been of us, if they had been united with us, if they had been of the same born-again nature as all those who are truly born again in Christ, he said, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And the unity of Christ and the unity in Jesus, in his life, and him being our hope and our joy and our peace. And we can see here there's, there's a great deal of clarity for all of us in here that our unity is in Christ. It's in him. This is about him, for him, to him, and all things are wrapped up around him. This is not about us. But as we read this, we recognize these are not abstract thoughts that are just being thrown out there. They weren't for John, they weren't for the first century church, and they're not for us as well. Because when we read, they went out from us, but they were not of us. We see faces, we know names. We've shed tears about this. It's a sad reality. It's a hard reality. But lean in a little as the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us. And the reason for such doctrinal clarity here is that doctrinal clarity provides the way ahead. Because in understanding the truth of Christ... And what he's done for us and how that works out in our own lives as for all who know him as Savior and Lord. That allows us to be able to know the way ahead. So that when we talk to one another, it's not that we don't talk to them. It's that we know what to say to them. A clear diagnosis provides a clear response. It's not like a doctor throwing medicine at something they do not understand. It's like a dear friend and pastor who when they hear somebody say, I want Jesus and I want this, makes very clear you can't have both. And you see the result in our dear sister's life. Real faith endures. As it's described in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So as we read this, he's not writing these things so that the church would be discouraged and look around in suspicion. He's saying, I want you to be abundantly clear so that you would be encouraged, that you would trust the Lord to give discernment, to give clarity, to give life. And that when the things around you don't go the way in which you expected them to, you can still trust me because I know what I'm doing. He says, they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They left. They removed themselves. Now, we still have to be careful in how we interpret this. Because he's not talking about a church split. Not in the way in which we use the term. This is not another body of believers who would confess the same things, who got upset about something else and went and started a church down the road. He's talking about a group of people who no longer trust in Jesus, who don't even claim to. 
who, who didn't lose their salvation, who are being shown to have never had it in the first place. I don't want anything of this truth of Christ. And they've walked off and wandered out into the darkness of their own hearts, embracing false teaching. Walked away from all of the family reminders that we saw last week. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. It's as though with tenderness we're being led along and saying, There are coming some hard realities. But you need to see clearly so that you'll know how to respond in those moments. Their departure was their unveiling. But redeeming hope still exists if they'll repent and believe. So for every parent in here who has had children who have professed a faith that they do not possess, or every grandparent who has shed tears over the fact that your grandchildren have professed a faith that they do not possess, there's still hope. The gospel still transforms lives. He still gives life. We must be able to see and discern that we would know how to respond with absolute clarity. We don't embrace muddy waters. We don't dance around the truth. And in the midst of the sad reality, we must remember that hope lives. Jesus does transform lives. And then as we can think about that, he's making it clear because he says, look, they went out from us, but look around, look who's still here. It's so easy as a church to say, well, I remember when this one was here and this one was here and this one was here and this one was here. And look, look at all the empty seats. No, look at all the full ones first. Look at what Christ is doing. Look at what Christ has done. Discern all things with doctrinal clarity and delight in the discernment that is provided by the truth of Christ. Because he says in verse 20, but you have been, you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who are born again, you who know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you who confess your sins and trust that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you've been anointed by the Holy One. You think of even the, just the vivid picture that's being painted here. You think of the Old Testament reality of anointing of the Old Testament priests, and they're being set apart for God's purpose and for God's glory, and it's a special, beautiful moment. And you think of New Testament believers, and you think of all these descriptions of New Testament believers, and that well, ultimately we are a kingdom of priests set apart for God. And what a vivid picture that as Christ is the head of the church, who is the anointed one, as we are connected in Him by faith, to Him by faith, we are anointed by Him as well. At the moment of salvation, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, He fills you with His Spirit. You have salvation, you have forgiveness, covered by Him, filled by Him, set apart for His glory. 
This anointing is the Holy Spirit himself. You can, read, you can read this really all over the place, but one place in particular you could go to, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy One being God himself. And see, having the Holy Spirit does not lead us into weird places of ambiguity. Because the Holy Spirit has inspired His Word that He has given to us. And so in all the ways in which God directs us and leads us and guides us and convicts us and grows us, we know that He's not going to contradict Himself. He's not going to say one thing in His Word and say another thing in our hearts. Everything fits together. And so there's clarity in understanding Scripture and how this applies to everything in life. And we can rejoice in that, can't we? That we can rejoice in knowing that Marriage matters because it's a picture of Christ in the church. We didn't make that up. But you can see as you live that, as a husband loves his wife, as Christ loves the church, watch and see her flourish. As a father loves his children, the way in which the heavenly father loves us, watch what God will do. He's given us such great clarity. And this is meant to stir our hope and stir our delight. I mean, so much confusion in the world. In Christ, we have so much clarity. And we ought to enjoy it. We can spend so much time fretting over the confusion that we forget to delight in the truth. We'll watch the news until we are near about frazzled and you wind up just not even knowing what to do with yourself instead of taking all of that into God's Word and saying, Lord, I need hope. And then you open His Word and you see and you're like, you're amazing. You're still at work. You're saving. You're transforming. You're growing and working and doing more than all we can even ask or imagine. He says, you've been anointed by the Holy One, and and you, brothers and sisters in Christ, all have knowledge. Not that we know everything, but we do know something. That in Christ, you had to know something before you even came to Christ. Every believer knows something. But it goes from just knowing a little something that He grows us in this. That God in love sent His only Son to live. In perfect righteousness, tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died in our place. That all who repent and believe have life in Him who died for us and three days later in victory rose from the dead. And it's like the more you lean in, the more amazing it gets. And you think of His love and His steadfast love that endures forever, that He loved us before the foundation of the world and He loves us now and He'll love us when the world is long gone and, in, and He returns and everything is made new. His forgiveness that has transformed our lives so that we can look at those who have hurt us and we can say, I can forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven me. We think of His redemption and the ways in which He's at work and taking all those hard realities in our lives and in knowing Him and in trusting in Him and knowing that He works all these things together for good and that all things are for the glory of God. We can look back and we can say, I I see why you did that here because I'm looking at somebody here who needs to know there's hope and you gave me hope here and I'm going to offer it to him right here. We all have knowledge. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord knows something of Him. 
And it just gets better the more you know Him. It's not just knowledge that's known, it's knowledge that's lived. Grace through weakness and comfort through storms and love through loss. And it's like the more you know Him, the more your life is shaped by Him. It's like He's looking at His people. God is looking at His people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking through John. Here He is saying, hey, throw yourself into knowing Jesus. Face the hard realities of life with hope. Face the realities of the hard things even within the function of the church with hope and have knowledge. And by the word of God, gauge everything. Every notion in which we think about family, every notion in which we think about identity, every notion in which we think about doctrine, not guided by the fleeting winds of popularity. But moored by the truth to God himself. And you think of the moorings of the truth of Christ. No storm will break those moorings. Many of us have lived that. Many of us are living that right now. Can't we delight in the discernment that's provided by the truth? So that you can see what is false and sort it out. But that you can also see the truth and enjoy it. He says in verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. It's like when he's, this is the opposite of how we so often talk about the end of all things, isn't it? He's encouraging them in their faith. He's saying the God who saved you is the God who's going to sustain you. You have nothing to worry about. It's like a dad getting down on his knees and calmly explaining things to his children. Hey, you have every reason to trust. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. As one commentator put it, you know the Father who is the God of truth, the Son who is truth in himself, and the Spirit who is the Spirit of truth. And that the clarity of truth brings assurance. Because as a believer, you can say, God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in time of trouble. That's a helpful thing to learn along the way. And then you walk right into a storm and you get to live it. What happens? God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. He's my helper and my keeper. And that through every temptation and every sorrow and every danger, through all the confusion and all the discord, there's such clear assurance of delight in Him because no lie is of the truth. Delight in who you know. Delight in the security of the truth. Delight in the certainty of salvation and the assurance of hope that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Christ. It cuts through the fog of all the lies. You hear the whispers of the evil one. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And you answer, you're right. I don't. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You hear the whispers, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you say, you're right. But his grace is sufficient for me, for his power is made perfect in my weakness. You hear the whispers, no one loves you, no one loves you, no one loves you. You say, you're wrong. He's always loved me. He loves me now and he'll love me tomorrow. You take refuge in the peace that passes all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You find unity in Christ. You enjoy his holiness. You enjoy his righteousness. You see the fruit of his spirit at work in your life in ways that you don't see it as a, as a hindrance or patience is not a curse. It's a blessing. It's a work of the spirit. No lie is of the truth. Live as discerning disciples. With clarity and with delight. Discern what is false and respond to it. And discern what is true and delight in it. But what about you this morning? Where are you? As the light of God's glory and grace shines down upon you. Do you know him? Have you been born again by his spirit? Have you trusted that the, your, your sin is so awful that it required the Son of God to substitute himself in your place, to die on the cross for your sin and then rise from the dead, and that your only hope of forgiveness is not in anything that you can do, but it's all in what he has already done? Have you trusted in him? Because see, one of the most... Th- this, should not simply be understood as a sort of grim turn in First John. This is a hopeful thing. He's pointing out the reality of what is false to lead us into what is true. Don't leave this place deceived. And that if you don't know, be honest about it. Cry out in your heart, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe that I've sinned and fallen short of your glory. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I trust that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And you do that, you'll go home from this place justified, made right with God, reconciled to him, and you will be one of his children. We must stop fretting over what is fake. And delight in what is true. How do you need to do that today? Do you need to confess Christ for the first time? Do you need to lay down your fret and worry and fear? And rejoice in the one who is the truth? Live as discerning disciples. Respond. And delight. In Jesus, may God in Christ be glorified as we have opportunity to respond to him now in faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Father, we thank you for such a clear passage of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the the times in which your word makes us uncomfortable because we need that. And Father, we pray that in the light of your holiness, you would expose our sin. Father, that you would give us such a clear awareness of our own sinfulness 
that we would see the reality of the situation. That for everybody here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, when we recognize and see the reality of our own sinfulness and how awful it is, yet we see Jesus, our Savior and Lord, Father, that we delight in our salvation. We're not forlorn and forsaken, Father, that we rejoice in Jesus because we're forgiven. Increase our faith as we walk in faithfulness with you and delight in the truth. But Father, as the light of your glory and the light of your holiness exposes the sin of those who are here who have never known you, who perhaps have been playing a game for years and who have never been born again, Father, in this moment, now show them that this is another merciful opportunity that you've given. Another opportunity to turn away from sin and trust in Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, and who gives forgiveness and everlasting life to everyone who comes to him. In this moment now, give clarity that our response to you would reflect that we've heard the truth, we've understood the truth, and now let us walk in it. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory.